When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast here, weekend of August 13th. Football two weeks away, a little more than two weeks away, three weeks away. I guess the three. week zero is two, but Florida State is three. From today as we record this, man, it feels so close. I'm, I'm just ready. Right? We're ready? <laughs> yeah. I think on the Give front end, me. we do need to do an apology. on, on uh, John John has prefaced this with apologies if his dogs bark. They're hanging out. I told him he's, he's at Pupper State on Twitter, so it's fine. We're allowing it. His dogs can bark as much as they want. <laughs> It's part of the brand. Well, thank you. Yeah, of course. So today's our defensive preview. We'll talk last year, what they did, what, they, what, what the strengths were, what they're missing, what they've got this year, and, and what kind of needs to take the step forward to be just that little bit better. Uh, so lots to cover there. But the other thing we're going to touch on here before we get there is I want to ask you guys, conference realignment and, and a quick quote out of an ESPN Plus article. I'm curious your thoughts on about Jordan Travis. and I, But I want to start on that conference realignment piece. The uh, Pac-12 is now the Pac-4, I believe. We're 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 down to four, and uh, Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford are the last four standing. The others have either jumped to the Big Ten, which is was it Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and USC. The rest have gone to the Big Twelve, which is the Arizona schools, Utah, and Colorado. Uh, so the four standing are Cal, Stanford. Washington State and Oregon State. And this week, a lot of reporting coming around Cal and Stanford specifically potentially joining the ACC. Um, the reporting there was Notre Dame was was pretty pushy on trying to get them into the conference. Uh, I believe the teams who voted against, they needed, what, 12 out of 15 members to vote yes. They had 11. The four who voted no being Florida State, Clemson, NC State, and North Carolina John, I'll go to you as our resident historian old guy. Uh, do you think that makes any sense to 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 bring in a team like teams like Cal and Stanford to the Atlantic uh, Coast Conference? It makes sense depending on your perspective and which school you are, right? Uh it, if you uh how do I say this? We all believe that Florida State and Clemson at a minimum minimum are gone, right? It's only a matter of time. This conference is a dead conference walking. Its future is the same as uh the Pac-12 and the Big 12, although you know they're they're still trying to find new ways to stay alive. Uh so it depends on your perspective. If you're saying, okay, well, that's gonna happen, we want to try to have this conference be somewhat viable after that, it kind of seems to make a little bit of sense, right? Uh, but you are going more of the academic route. I mean, Stanford and, and Cal don't really bring you much anything. Uh, I know they had also talked about SMU, which 
some people point out, oh, you're getting the Dallas market, but to me, it's a joke. I think their 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 viewership was even worse than Wake Forest, like forty percent worse. And the idea is, oh, well, maybe if you give them in a bigger conference, they'll you know more people will watch them. But I'm not really sure. You know, Wake Forest is one of the few programs that actually tries to win in football, especially in the ACC, and still nobody watches them. So I I don't really buy that argument as much. I, again, I think it's a too little, too late for the ACC. Um, it, it just it's not going to save them. Although I I get the strategy, I just think it's too late. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, John. Like it, it is that too little, too late thing where this is it's just obviously reactionary from the ACC. You know, instead of trying to get out in front of this and and maybe add some of those schools who are trying to leave in the last two three years, you know, from their own perspective conferences, they're now trying to kind of just pick apart the remnants of the Pac-12. And, uh, you know, that just doesn't really make any sense regionally and competitively. Um, and, and I mean, let alone viewership, like you mentioned. So I, I think, you know, I, I mean, it it depends on the perspective of the school that you're looking at. I can understand why Florida State and Clemson are saying no to those kind of things right now, because, you know, truth be told, they're, they're not going to be in the ACC for much longer. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's just, you know, it's, it kind of just encapsulates the ACC experience for FSU. It's too little, too late, kind of, kind of with everything. So um, I'm not surprised that they're trying to do this, but you know, it kind of just shows where the ACC is compared to the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the SEC, who have all been way ahead of the curve in terms of conference realignment. Yeah, it feels like this one is very clearly a Notre Dame-led issue. Um, they, they, I think, the reporting there was they already play Cal and Stanford. They already play a handful of teams in the ACC pretty much every year. And it's kind of tiptoeing around joining the conference. Um, I'm curious why so many of the other schools were willing to jump on board with that. I, I assume the idea is they they continue to hold out hope that Notre Dame will join the conference uh, as a full member, a football member. Uh, they are with other sports. But, um, yeah, it just seems like this one is – I'm curious the North Carolina schools being willing to say no there, but I, I feel like they're kind of hoping to – chase florida state into one of these conferences or maybe fall their way into the sec at worst right i thought it was interesting that it was north carolina state and not miami was the one that voted no right that that made the difference and that's another great point brian you brought up is it's kind of a joke for notre dame to or even for these other schools to be following notre dame's lead and trying to add stanford and cal when notre dame refuses to become a full member in football it's just a joke. I, it doesn't surprise me, though, because it's the ACC. Uh, but um, I, I'm glad it didn't go through. Not that it would really matter, honestly. But I just, yeah. Uh, and I'm I glad. can imagine this is one that the position really changes. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Florida State's going to probably just let this be a walking, dying conference and um, let, let that just continue on. I, I don't see it as a path to doing much good of anything. I, I don't know what the path is at this point to really saving it in a way that Florida state really enjoys. It, it doesn't seem like even a Notre Dame adjoining is something that moves the needle for them, or they've accepted that they're done playing this game with Notre Dame. It's just not going to happen. Right. There's there's And that's a great point too. There's not any school or group of schools out there that will save the ACC at this point. I mean, that ship is long, long gone. It, it left whenever Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC. It's the same thing they do in the Pac-12, right? They had a chance. I think Larry Scott, their former commissioner, had even discussed adding uh, Texas and Oklahoma and turned them down. 
it's saying they didn't need it. And then it comes out later that they're trying to get $50 million a year per school from ESPN and their TV deal. And they end up getting offered $20 million from Apple TV. <laughs> and then the whole thing just disintegrated, right? But that again, that ship is long, long gone. And I give the ACC some credit. I think some people forgot. You know, the ACC used to be on the forefront of, of expansion. They added Virginia Tech and Miami. Uh, those were good football schools at the time, but they just not, have not produced really since since they joined the ACC. They kind of fell off, and the ACC never did anything else after that to try to make up for it. They just left it the way it was, and it's going to suffer the same fate as the Big 12 and the Pac-12 because of it. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, touch on real quick before we moved into defense was uh, the ESPN Plus. Uh, if you're not subscribed, this article alone might be worth it, uh, worth your time. Just reading on the perspectives, it's basically the quarterback confidential article. He, uh, I think it's Adam Rittenberg goes through, talks to coaches around the country in the promise of anonymity, and gets their honest thoughts on guys around the league, quarterbacks from Tyler Van Dyke, which had some interesting conversation points about Cristobal's hirings over there. Uh, down through other guys in the conference. Uh, the one I wanted to touch on was the one obviously around Jordan Travis. Um, one coach with a quote, he's much better than he was two years ago, which I don't think any of us would have any real argument about. But this other one here, a defensive coordinator who faced Travis was less impressed saying, quote, he's not as good as all the hype he's getting. I don't think he's even close to being the best quarterback in this league. I feel like we around here have pretty much said he is the best or at least a 1B to uh, Drake May, kind of in that that class, maybe not quite to Drake May's level, but right there, um, especially if you're talking just college production and not not pro prospects. Um, ben, are we looking at this, I guess, maybe too Florida State-wise, or, or is this guy maybe just a, a sour grapes kind of thing? What 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 is, I guess, the um, floor and ceiling for tra- for Jordan. I feel like we look at Jordan's ceiling a lot, but I guess what what might be the floor? Is is there a lower floor than we think? Um no, I I don't think that. So I, I do think these comments are interesting that there is that perception from at least one defensive coordinator that, you know, he's not quite buying the hype. Um but but with well, with Jordan, we've seen that you know, as as the talent has risen around him, he's he's rose to the occasion and stepped up and he's improved himself, too. But, you know, I, I think so much of the story of Jordan Travis at Florida State, the context is so important when when you look at each year individually. Right. You know, that that first year, that 2020 year was just a complete mess, um, whether it was the games being canceled last minute um that that receiving room you know it, overall that team was just a mess 2021 a little bit better but still not quite where it needs needed to be and then you know finally last season you put competent receivers around him and you see the massive jump from jordan you see the offensive efficient efficiency take a huge leap so you know i i think if you're if you're going into this saying that you know hey, you know, maybe this defensive coordinator is thinking at the next level, Jordan Travis might not translate as well as some of these other seniors that we're, we're seeing kind of approach that that draft right now. Um, I could understand that perspective saying, you know, he's not going to translate to the next level as well. But in terms of looking at Jordan as a collegiate athlete, he is, I mean, I mean, PFF just released their, their rankings of the best 50 players in college football. He was fourth, I believe. So, you know, I, I, I think... He, you could drop him into a lot of 
a lot of schools right now, and he would be a better starting quarterback um, than a lot of guys. And and I think, you know, where that difference is, is some of those guys where you might argue about it, it might be more so that their translation to what they're going to look like on Sundays is going to look a lot better, right? Like Bo Nix, a guy like that, or some Michael Penix, some other quarterbacks in that range, um, who are all kind of that next Heisman hopeful after uh, Caleb Williams. But I, I, I think, you know, getting back to what you were saying originally, like, you know, we've talked a lot about the ceiling with Jordan Travis is the floor as high as we think it is. I absolutely think it's as high as, as we think it is um, because we've seen him rise to the occasion when, you know, the talent around him has, has risen. So I, I think, you know, Jordan Travis, his story as a whole is, is complicated and it needs a lot of context to it. Um, but, you know, the, in the same article, there's a coach who said, you know, he's much, much better than he was just two years ago. Right. So um, even though there might be a few defensive coordinators who might look at him and say, he's not, you know, worth all the hype. Um, I still think that that floor and that ceiling is extremely high with Jordan. John, would you say he rounded the corner? I mean, it was just a year ago. We were we were unsure. I guess it's a year enough of a sample size to say he's a new guy. Jordan? Well, yeah. I mean, there's an argument you made that he played at a nearly level the year before last year. Right. I, I just think it was, you know, the, the leap was more obvious. Um, his his supported cast got better. Uh, but you know, there's even reports out of camp that he's even approved from even last year already. I I I think the whole thing with sour grapes, right? It, it's easier when you're anonymous to put your saltiness out there. Uh, so that's, that's what I think most of it was. And, and to Ben's point, I agree. I, when it comes to the NFL, I think the quarterback position is one of the most difficult in all of sports. You have to have everything, right? It's not just, you, you could be elite in one or two areas, right? But to be a successful quarterback in the NFL, you have to be, you have to do everything well. That's your footwork, your mechanics, uh, your release. Uh, and, and you could be elite in, in more categories than others and make up for certain things. But overall, you have to have everything. The, you know, the football intelligence, the process, mental processing speed, uh, you know, be somewhat athletic in today's game, all those things. And Jordan does have a lot of those things. Does he have everything? No, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, his his NFL career will sort itself out when the time comes. For now, he is absolutely one of the best college quarterbacks in the country. Uh you know, again, I think a lot of it too is bias. If you are certain that a player is not very good, right? When they are, I don't know, I would say widely considered to be a good player, right? Like like uh, Caleb Williams, everyone thinks he's going to be the number one pick in the next draft. If you hate him and you think he actually sucks and is overrated, you're going to watch him looking for flaws and things like that. You're going to find flaws in every player. So uh, again, salty grapes. Uh, does that make sense? Salty grape, no, whatever. I, I'm gonna I, go I with like it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. I can see that. And and to to wrap it up there, I feel like we've probably done plenty on Jordan. You can go back and hear if you want to even deeper dive into it. We talked with um his name escapes me, but the guy from the draft network, uh Ryan. I forget his name. Ryan Fowler. He was uh, really good on the topic and crunching tape, looking at pro prospects and how he did. So I, I would recommend going back and listen to that one. But this is our defensive preview episode. So I appreciate the slight detour and a couple of things that were important earlier this week. So this kind of set the the groundwork here of 2022, what this team looked like. Uh, scoring defense, 20th in the country, averaging 20.6 points allowed per game. Total defense, 15th in the country, 321 yards per game. Um, rushing defense, 75th, kind of middle of the pack, 156 allowed per game. Passing defense, 4th, 
164 yards, 165 yards per game. Um, so comparatively, a really strong passing defense, some some holes there on the rushing area, but overall a strong group, 15th and 20th. Um, they they were about 10 points worse in the losses, 28 points per game versus 18 points per game. Uh, so some things to clean up, but uh, I guess, John, how do you assess the year a year ago what they look like? Um, so, okay. They were good. They were solid. I think they had a high floor. They did a good job of I don't think it's a coincidence that the offense is one of the most explosive in the country while the defense was the best at limiting explosive plays, right? There's a strategy to all of that. I, I do think a lot of Mike Norvell, the way his offense is designed, is um, you know, the plays that happen to be efficient also tend to be explosive, right? And so Adam Fuller, he can be very, very aggressive. He likes to leave his corners on islands. He likes to blitz a lot, um, you know, especially first and third downs, all those things. But I think they – absolutely do need to be better. I mean, I, we talked before the strength of this team is going to be the offense, uh, but there's two things I want to bring up, right? And this is from Football Outsiders, uh, FEI index um, on the Florida State defense last season. They were 12th in the country at uh, basically uh, yards per play allowed at 4.88, but they were 28th in the country in touchdowns per drive allowed, which is about, I think, 22% of the time, one every, every four drives, they had a lot of touchdowns. So, they, they need to be better, right? Uh, I think the points need to be more in line with, with the yards per play given up. I do think a lot of it was offense put the defense in, in some bad positions. You know, we talked before about how the offense would disappear for a quarter, two quarters at a time. So overall, I'm expecting them to be better. They have to be better, right? Um, I'm looking for maybe top 10 in yards per play allowed, and they need to be top 20 in, in dry, uh, touchdowns allowed per drive or something like that. So I... Uh, Got to keep opponents out of the end zone. Make them kick field goals. Yeah, and and I think um, you know another interesting area of you, you know you talked about how they allowed more yards than than or they allowed more touchdowns than than yards, and and that needs to more closely align with each other. Uh, uh, another thing that kind of went their way in terms of bad luck last season was they were seventy fourth in takeaways per game. So this wasn't a team that that created a ton of takeaways, and you know as we kind of know from historical data um, turnovers and takeaways are, are not exactly predictive year to year. It doesn't usually, you know, it, it varies almost more than any other stat in, in, in football. So, you know, whereas they kind of got the bad end of the stick last year, I think, you know, defensively, they, if they can get more takeaways this year, it, it's definitely going to help out the defense in a lot of those areas they struggled in, but, you know, specifically, John, I, I wanted to ask you about this. I, I know Brian touched on it that, you know, they were really high in terms of their past defense, in terms of yards allowed per attempt. Um, and they were around middle of the pack and, and about rushing yards um, attempt like allowed. But also, isn't that more just due to the scheme that they that they play? They play a really light box last season. Um, they, they kind of asked defenses to to run the ball and in and specifically in those games where they really defensively struggled it was because teams could like Clemson could run the ball so effectively kind of diminishing that front and and forcing Florida State to kind of be between a rock and a hard place yeah I, yeah yeah 
Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's the thing that, you know, I'll be looking at this season is, is how, how do they adjust for that? And specifically, you know, we saw them go out in the portal and, and go heavily on that defensive line and, and, and specifically on the interior. Um, you know, we saw them bring in some good run stuffing defensive tackles. So I think, you know, from, from the looking at it from the, the pass and the run. Um, the reason they were so good at defending the pass was because they wanted teams to run the ball. They wanted to play that lighter box. They wanted to eliminate those explosive long plays that we see the Florida state offense do. But now, you know, with that kind of injection of talent along the defensive line, it should improve in, in, in the, in the run defense. But, you know, I, I still think we need to see that, in action actually this season we need to see them improve their run defense and you know I, I think if Florida State wants to go where you know their goals are in terms of winning ACC championships potentially making it into the college football playoff um, they're just going to need to be better in terms of their run run defense and that defensive line is going to need to really step up yeah I mean I mean Football has infinite variations to become complicated, but really it's it's very simple. It's just a numbers game. And if you could control the front with four guys, right, both the run and the pass, then it frees you up to do everything else. All great defenses have four guys up front that can that can dominate. Uh, you know, if you play 3-3 three, three or 3-4 three, type stuff, right, you still have three monsters up front that kind of control things, right, allow linebackers to be free to to flow to the ball and things like that. Um, it it all starts there, right? And that, that's where you want. I mean, you, you got Fabian Lovett back, right? And you got a couple other guys you brought in. I know we, you know, Daryl Jackson lost his waiver, which was absolute crap from the NCAA. Uh, but, you know, you're looking, you think you're going to be strong up front. Uh, a couple of guys have flashed, right? A few guys that they brought in and things like that. So uh, if you do that, right? Because one big thing these days, right? Especially in the spread era is the apex defender, right? That nickel guy who's like kind of right off the line of scrimmage. And offenses often just look for open space and empty grass. But again, if you can control everything up front and shut them down and force them, you know, offenses to be one dimensional, again, it's just a numbers game. You you know, you get enough defenders and the defensive backs to cover the receivers, three on two, two on one, things like that. You tend to, to do very well. So, uh, I think that's what Florida State is going to look for. Again, it's it's that's why talent matters so much in college football. I think eighty percent of winning in college football is talent, and I, I think Florida State has a very talented team this year, especially on that defensive front. I kind of want to go uh, position group by group here, front to back, because um, I do think they've got some interesting pieces, especially in the secondary. But that front line, I think, is where everything kind of starts. Um, I feel like if I told you guys the defensive line this year was just the kind of top five from a year ago in like a verse, love it, Farmer Briggs, even some Malcolm Ray. I feel like you guys would have been comfortable with that as a group. Um, I think you add in a guy like Braden Fisk, the the transfer from Western Michigan. And then, John, you mentioned uh, Daryl Jackson Jr., who, who didn't have his waiver denied, his hardship waiver. Um, he had transferred his mom, has a has a medical condition, so he transferred back closer to home, and that, that got denied by the NCAA, and there's some pressure there from – uh, Marco Rubio, the state senator here in Florida, um, or the U.S. senator from Florida, um, to kind of get that flipped around. So we'll see if something happens there. But um, the idea of adding that talent, if he's there or not, Daryl Jackson gets approved or not, I, I think to Ben's point, they did see the the need for more bodies up the middle. And if you don't have Fabian, the need to add another guy. But 
Uh, adding Fisk, how good does this uh, defensive line become, Ben? I mean, you look at it, I mean, bringing in Jared alone as a guy who is a game breaker up front, and then you have a Fabian, you have a Farmer and a Fisk and, and all these guys who can do a lot of things for you. Yeah, I I think when you bring in all these guys who are so individually talented, it, it's going to allow them to 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 game wreck a lot more. And, and specifically, you know, before I was talking about how this team struggled in takeaways, I, I, I think to me that starts up front and in this front needs to be a lot more disruptive this year. And I think they can be with Fisk um, and with Jared Verse and, and with all the guys they have going. I, I, I think where they struggled last year and the reason they went so hard after the interior and the transfer portal was because we saw once they got down Fabian Lovett, once Robert Cooper was dealing with some injuries, I mean, they just really struggled. So I, I think that that aggression to, to go after that position was, it was just because of what we saw last season. I, I mean, they, they just, if they want to, you know, I keep talking about if they want to get to where they want to go. I mean, that's just the ultimate goal. Right. But they they need that depth in place because I mean we saw last year once they got down those two guys they just really struggled to to control um, the line of scrimmage and if you don't win at the line of scrimmage you know you're just going to make it much more difficult on the rest of your defense so I I think you know for them this season um, with that defensive line you know it's all just really going to be about keeping them healthy keeping them fresh i mean we even saw jared verse get nicked up a little bit last year right i mean he played through that injury but um he definitely wasn't that same guy that he would have been so i i think this year um you know and i hate to just boil it down to injuries but you know we saw that last season once this front got injured they struggled and they just could not keep up with some of those offenses well, and I think it goes to depth. I mean, I mentioned five guys before, but you, I, I didn't even mention Patrick Payton. I didn't mention Byron Turner. I didn't mention um, the transfer from, um, was it South Carolina, Gilbert Edmond? I mean, mm-hmm. Jaden Jones. I mean, this is a really deep group. Um, you know, maybe they're not all Jared Verse, but I don't, I don't think you can expect that. But John, I mean, the depth at defensive line is crucial, and they've, they've got a long list of guys who can give you capable play at, at right right yeah because i think verse is a first round lock if he stays healthy uh i don't know where Levitt will really get drafted but he's a solid player uh he'll get a chance in the nfl and it really starts with those two guys right i think uh you know they say briggs is is healthy again i think he's going to be a really really important piece he's another richard senior uh patrick Payne. i i think he kind of explodes this year i'm really hoping on on that i think he could put it all together there um he's a little light right for an edge defender against the run but it's pass rushing man it's sky's the limit for him there uh losing Darrell jackson like we talked about already is kind of kind of tough we're hearing reports out of camp that uh edmund's doing well right he, he can be a little hot a little cold but so far he's he, you know i think he's going to be a contributor farmer you know look these guys when you're defensive lineman i think it usually takes three or four years to start to put it together and i think farmer's time to shine now right i you know i want to see him he's got all the talent I'd love to see him, you know, kind of step up and, and take one of those big roles. And then um, I'm hearing a lot of really, really good things about, uh, I apologize if I mispronounced it, Teface, A-O, Teface, um, Teface, I don't know how to pronounce his name, I'm sorry, but he's he's apparently, uh, you know, done really, really well in camp, and I'm really excited to see that kid uh, play. So, yeah, I think overall, oh, and then the transfer, Brian Fisk, we forgot, another redshirt senior, right? 
So, uh, yeah, I think they're deeper than last season. I think this line is huge. <laughs> I think they're talented. And I, I think they, and I do expect them to be better than last season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They certainly are a group that is capable of doing that uh, and being better with the depth, with the pieces around it. Um, You know, I I feel like we're certainly heading towards some of these players being names, getting their names known and and blossoming beyond the verse and the love it and and these other guys. And I think your point on it taking a little while for defensive players, a lot of it size, you know, the amount of the the, the size that it it requires to play D-line in college football. Uh, especially big time college football, but then also the, you know, knowing your, your gap integrity and, and how to play across the guy right in front of you. Um, you know, I, I feel like that is a, a learning curve that guys coming out of high school. It's like, well, I'm just the biggest dude on my high school team. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a big learning curve there. So I, I think they do have just so many guys who are red shirt juniors, red shirt sophomores, red shirt seniors who just have that level of, of thought that, that I think is going to be huge for this group. Um, I, I almost feel the exact opposite about the linebacker crew. Linebacker, almost got there. Um, I see three, maybe four guys who are, who are really good. Kalen Deloach, Tatum Bethune, uh, DJ Lundy, and and I see question marks behind it. It's a, it's a lot of freshmen. Um, they had a good year last year, but I'm worried what an injury or two might do here. John, am I am I wrong on the, on the linebackers? No, you're not. There's... <laughs> Look, and one thing I could mention, too, this goes for all position groups we're, we're talking about today, is there's a level of player development here on this team that hasn't been here since 2012 and 2013 at this yep. program. And that's really, really good, right? And they've done some, some very interesting things with DJ Lundy, who can be a, you know, a little bit um, athletically limited. Uh, I, again, like you said, Deloach and Bethune are your two guys. I know you know Filler really likes to play that that four two five kind of thing anyway. Um, the, with the way the spread is, you need two guys, two linebackers that can really run. But you're right. If they, you lose one of those guys and they go down, it's a little bit of a question mark. Again, you got some guys you think you can rely on. There's that development there, but sometimes you just you you don't really know till you know. Yeah, I I think this this group is uh concerning in terms of how how thin the depth is. Um and, and you guys did a great job pointing that out. And I think, you know, I'm you know, we'll get we'll get on to to DBs after this, but specifically, you know, with Jamie Robinson not down the middle of that defense anymore, it's going to be interesting to see how those other guys step in. And I I, I think you know Jamie cleaned up a lot last year. He was excellent in in run fitting um, and, and just you know making those plays when maybe mistakes were made up front. So I I, I think you know you guys made some great points already. This we know who the guys are in this room. You know, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how, how much they progress from last year to this year. And we won't really know until the season starts. Um, but at the same time, you get one injury, you get two injuries. I, I I think that's, that's where my biggest concern would be in terms of any group on the team. Um, because, you know, I, I think, you know, there's some other positions where they're thin, but, you can at least see the path to okay if if they lose a player here or there you know this this guy can step up into this role you you, you can see 
how it all fits together. I, I think if you start losing any of uh, Bethune or uh, Kalen Deloach, things get scary quick. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Right. I agree with you, Ben. I, I, I think the two guys we've heard the most about behind Bethune and, and uh, Deloach is Blake Nicholson and Brian Courtney. Yeah. So again, I trust in the development of the staff, right. But it's going to take time and it'll be good to have them like kind of sub in for Bethune and Deloach, but, but it's going to be growing pains, right? And, and we'll just see how that that goes out towards the end of the season. Hopefully, you got two other guys in in Nicholson and Courtney that you can really you know believe that you can rely on or could be the future after Deloach and Bethune are gone. But until then, it's it's just you got to hope they stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in Courtney, you got a guy who who used to play what linebacker, right? Or mm-hmm. um, used to play tight end. I'm sorry. Yeah, now was a linebacker. Um, but I, I I think it's all good points, and and I see. I have confidence in the guys behind them, the freshmen in in Nicholson, in Cryer, in um, you know a, a handful of these freshmen they've brought in. The only thing is, I I don't want to have to have confidence in them this year. Um, that that's I'd like them as extra pieces. I'd like them as occasional pieces. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when you're looking around, you're, you're kind of like, I would like to see you develop and be great next year, or maybe in November. Um, one point I thought that was really excellent was was Ben's on on Jamie Robinson. Um, that's really hard to replace from from uh, a group. I know he's a safety technically, but uh, he was very much a, a downhill, hard nosed type guy. And Johnny, we know you and I talked to him about it, and he just was flatly like, "Yeah, I loved being in the box and tackling." I mean, that was <laughs> he basically was a linebacker, you know. And that that was an extra piece. I'm curious where they find that, and maybe this comes in this defensive back group. Um, they've got a lot of guys returning. Obviously, I think the headliner of the entire group is the transfer from Virginia, Fentrell Cypress. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty widely around the conference, recognized as one of the best out here doing it. So I am not terribly surprised if he comes straight in and, and plugs in well. Um, outside of that, though, you've got a strong group returning. Um, Cheyenne Brown, who was the hero in your opener against LSU last year. Maybe he's a Jamie Robinson type guy. You've got Renardo Green, Akeem Dent. Jerry and Jones, Kevin Knowles, Greedy Vance. Um, you've, you've got a lot of dudes who can do a lot of stuff. Um, I, I'm curious where you guys see, I mean, I mean, I just listed off seven, eight guys there, and and, and there's more, right? And Thomas and, and down the list. Yeah. I, again, I keep waiting for the secondary to kind of like take the next step. And again, like we talked about earlier, I know they've done some good things. They've, they've been... You know, they played well together as a group. I am a big fan of of Renardo Green. I think he's a solid player. I love the way he comes down uh, against the run. They, and him and Dent, they've, they've done a pretty good job. I, you know, I thought moving Dent to corner was a mistake at the time. And I think he's more, I think he's better at safety and more natural for him. Uh, so, I mean, you're going to get solid safety play out of Florida State. I, I think, um, again, I'm just waiting for this group to take the next step. I've been waiting for it for years now. I th- I feel like maybe they haven't always played. Uh, how should I say this? They played less than some of their parts. They had a lot of really talented kids. And they just couldn't quite seem to come together. But, you know, as you get into year three uh, of Fuller system or four, whatever, you, you start to grow, it's, it's a little bit easier. So uh, Azaria Thomas, right? Kevin Knowles. I mean, they have so many good players that, that are young that I think could do some pretty greedy vans that could do some interesting things. I think, Getting a guy like Cypress was huge. I think he brings that kind of 
um, veteran maybe leadership and that talent, the kind of lockdown number one cornerback you're looking for. Uh, there's a lot of freshmen, I think, that are talented behind them. But And then this recruiting class to bring in, right? The talent's changing. I don't have any doubt about the future that they're going to be really good. It's just um, they got to be solid this year. That's That's what we need to see from them. Yeah, and I think specifically, you know, John, the biggest challenge is going to be how they fit all these pieces together, right? It's it's the challenge we've been talking about for the last two years with this group is, you know, we know we we like the guys you have, but how are you going to fit all those guys together? And I think bringing in Fentral Cypress um, kind of helps that problem a lot where that's one key cornerstone position where you absolutely know what you're going to be getting week in week out um, from that boundary corner. So I, I think I'm, I'm most excited about Ventral Cypress and Azaria Thomas. Um, and I think, you know, to me, you look at those two guys, they're very similar and their body type. They got long arms or kind of like that six foot, you know, sort of range of corner, not, not the smaller guys we've seen come through a little more recently. Um, I, I really like this group. I like the players they have in this group. I love Akeem Dent. You mentioned him earlier. I think he was fantastic, Uh, but you know, I think Akeem Dent, you look at his kind of, his progression as a player, he started, you know, he was a corner a little bit. They finally get him over to safety. Then he deals with some injuries. Um, I, I, I really do like, where this group is headed and i i like this group theoretically but i we're still kind of waiting to see how this is all going to fit together so i i think to me out of any position group on the entire team this is the one that i've maybe the most questions about in terms of you know who goes where how are you who's going to fit in to this defensive scheme but i i think they have a lot of talented players so i i think this year it's really just going to be about figuring that all out yeah, I think that's a fantastic point, Ben. Real quick, sorry, is I do think it all starts with Fentrell Cypress. I really do. Because if he's that lockdown corner that you're really hoping that you get, you it, it changes everything. Because you can roll all the coverage away from him, leave him on that island. You can trust him to do that. So that's the type of play that Florida State needs to have from him if, if they want to take this defense to the next level. Uh, again, not just a top 30 defense or even top 25, but hopefully a top 10. Uh, or at minimum, minimum top 15, is you can roll all that coverage away from him. It blankets everybody else if you can trust him to do that. I mean, again, lockdown, it's the same thing in the NFL. Lockdown corners are invaluable. They're worth their weight in in gold because of the other things they allow you to do. So that's what I'm hoping you get from Cyprus. I think it starts and ends with him. Yeah, I, I It just changes the math for the defense. You know, right. It's going to change how they play. Like you mentioned, John, I mean, just it's just when you add a, a piece like that into that kind of defense, uh, it just completely changes how you play the rest of the coverage unit. And I think you're hoping if you're talking about a defensive group, a defensive back group that needs to generate some more turnovers and maybe be a little more aggressive. Obviously, having a lockdown helps. But even outside of that, redshirt senior Renardo Green, redshirt senior Akeem, mm-hmm. redshirt senior Jerrion Jones, junior Kevin Knowles, redshirt junior Greedy Vance. I mean, you've got guys with a lot of experience who know, like, this is when I should take the chance and this is when I shouldn't. Um, hopefully that's how that plays out. Obviously, you know, every once in a while, the DBs get a little get a little ball hockey and a little over aggressive. But I think <laughs> um, if you're if you're looking at maybe, you know, two, three starters who are seniors and, and a guy like Cypress, who's widely regarded as one of the best DBs in this conference, I feel like you at least have the chance to know when is the aggressive time. And maybe that gives you that floor ceiling combo you're hoping for. I feel like we have a 
you know, to Ben's point, we don't know what it'll look like, but I feel like we have a decent amount of confidence that they've got enough pieces for this to be a stronger group. Oh, they, they certainly have enough pieces. I mean, I, I think really you look at, you know, almost every single position. They're they're too deep at all those positions that, you know, or in that coverage unit. So I, I think they they have the depth. Um, but I mean, like, like John mentioned earlier, if, if you're entering Fentrell Cypress, he is, if he is that guy that we think he's going to be, um, then, you know, it, it, it just, you know, it just changes this defense so much. And I think that's really why they struggled last year, John, is because they didn't have that kind of guy. You know, we saw maybe players have good games, have good moments. We saw what Jamie Robinson was able to do, but, I, you know, having that kind of lockdown corner as good as Jamie Robinson is, that's so much more valuable than, you know, ha- having what Jamie did up the middle, even though Jamie did much more than, you know, just uh, any run mill safety, having the the idea, you know, theoretically of having that lockdown corner, it, it that's the piece that you really, really want and you need in that coverage unit. Yeah, and again, I think everything up to this point about Norvell and Fuller and how they've managed the defense in this team says that they're just going to do the same thing they've always done. Limit the explosive plays, keep everything in front of you, and tackle extremely well, right? Let let your uh, talented guys go go do their thing. Uh, you could, in certain situations maybe, see this to, to Brian's point be let them turn them a little bit loose, right? Let them be more aggressive, take a little bit more chances, it depends on how the offense is doing, but if the offense is exactly like we think they do, because that, that was a big thing with the Marcus Mario to Oregon Ducks teams, right? And I think I mentioned this before, is they their defense just sold out for the pick six every time. And if they got burned, they didn't care because they just turned it back over to their offense, right? And they knew their offense was going to score against pretty much anybody. So in certain situations, you could see that. Again, the history says that that's not really like how they want to play it, but uh, it's a thing that they may be allowed or able to do because – of what the offense, that kind of cushion that they give you, especially in games where, you know, Florida State might be the favorite opponent. You're looking, you know, at them scoring 40, 50 points a game. Who cares if you you know, sell out for the pick six and you give up a touchdown? It's not that big a deal. You're just turning the ball right over to your offense who, uh, if they are what we think they're going to be, they they won't be stopped against all but the most elite defenses on the schedule. So um, there's a couple different ways to play it. I do like that it allows you to be to be a little bit more flexible on how you, how you want to be, but I expect the overall – strategy approach to be the same thing is keep everything in front of you and tackle extremely well, uh, be aggressive, be smart. Um, and, and you know, that strategy. But I feel like overall looking at this defense, uh, taking the units and putting them back together, I, the main concerns are really just that linebacker depth. I feel like outside of that, it's just talent progression and coaching up learning schemes and, and being, um, smart i guess about about your aggressiveness but outside of that i I think that's the one real tangible concern we can have i mean hopefully this group you'd like to see if they play to that same floor they had a year ago i feel like you feel okay about your team you're pretty confident in uh you know hopefully they don't dip any lower i feel like if you can combine combine that i mean like i said 28 points per game in the losses I feel like if you got that again this year, and I don't want to call them losses automatically, but those quote-unquote competitive games, I feel like you have to feel pretty confident in the offense's ability to beat 28. Definitely. And and, and I think, too, you know, I, I don't want to 
harp on this too much again, but if if they are able to create more turnovers, that just that just makes the maths so, so much easier for you, right? Where if they get a few more opportunities that they create for the offense, um, you know, those those kind of 28 point games that you're talking about allowing and the losses, those are now 24, 21 point games, you know. So um, you know, I think if they're able to to be to create a little more havoc, um, to to be a little bit more disruptive, and to get a few more turnovers here and there. I, I think the rest of the defense can kind of remain the same in terms of you know the, you know how good the coverage unit is and and how they how good they are generating pressure. I, I think if they're able to just do what they did last season and create more turnovers in some of those bigger games, um, this unit is you know we're not expecting them to be a top five defensive unit in the country but i think they can come in and be more than good enough for this team to be extremely competitive right i agree with all that and at a minimum too we're seeing uh, patrick certain has already proven he was a good hire as far as the recruiting trail goes we are hearing some reports right that he uh he's doing just as well coaching the defensive backs i'm i'm kind of excited to see what he's done with this group uh again i i think they have a chance to like, like I said, I thought they were a top 25, very solid, high floor, kind of a low ceiling group in the last couple of years. And there's a real chance for them to to be much better than that this season. And and to everyone's point here, they don't actually have to be with as good as we expect the offense to be. But if they could, then you're really talking about, OK, yeah, a playoff slots on the table. I have no doubts that I think if this group plays to their ceiling, their capabilities, that a playoff spot can be on the table. Um, the I I don't see this this offense's floor with health being that low. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if they can hold to that twenty eight points a game, even if that's the worst of it, I, I feel like you've got a chance to win every single game, and, and mm-hmm. that's really all you need. Obviously, you'd like more, um, but I think if that's all you get. I still feel pretty confident in, in this group's ability to compete for the ACC and college football playoff as a, as a whole. I, I agree. Under 30 for the defense and over 35 for the offense. I think it's the expectation in every game. At the over. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think that wraps it here, guys. Any, any final thoughts on defense uh, overall here? Obviously, I think the kicking game will play a part in it. How well they punt is always a part of defense. Yeah. I, if, I, if they punt. I, I think the only thing, you know, I want to definitely harp on is there's going to be a few interesting NFL guys coming out of this group. I think, and of course, Jared Verse is, is the headliner. But I mean, I mean, John, even a guy like Fentrell Cypress, I mean, you know, if, if he has a, a really, really good year, he's the exact type of guy that that the league is looking for. Yeah, he he really is. And again, up front, it all really starts with verse. I mean, defense, I mean, offenses, I should say, are, are going to have to figure out a way to game plan, whether they use a tight end to check uh, him and things like that. It should dictate a lot of what offenses do. Uh, he was already extremely good at converting speed to power because he had the speed. His first step is absurd. Uh, right around there with with maybe even better than Jermaine Johnson's. Uh, but but he always converted speed to power extremely well. Also, now he's put on weight, right? They say he's up to 260, 265, something like that. That's, I mean, he already looks like an NFL-ready player. So, uh, I, verse, man, because <laughs> he's he was an excellent run defender also last year. Uh, he's just easily far and away the best player on the team. If you get him and, and, and Cypress, right, you got two elite players on uh, two levels of your defense. I think Bethune is a great linebacker. Uh, Deloach has really come along. 
Uh, very excited for those two. I look, I mean, you got a solid, solid group. I agree with you. There's much more NFL talent that's going to get drafted off this group than there there was with just Jamie last year in the fifth round. So, um, you know, I'm very, very excited. I, I think they're solid. They don't have to be elite. They're not going to be Georgia, right? But they don't have to be. So that's good. You hope the offense is is that level elite and this side right. can be maybe what Georgia's offense is. Not the greatest thing in the world, but good enough. Right. Better than uh, the team TCU put together last year. That's true. Correct. And uh, good Lord. And I, I feel <laughs> like I just made I made the Georgia offense seem okay when they were still really damn good a year ago. But, I mean, yeah, that's that's the recipe to compete for this team is the offense needs to be above and beyond and the defense just help out however you can. Be be as, as competitive as you can. Get off the field. Get it back to the offense as quickly as you can do it. If that's giving up points, which hopefully it isn't, then so be it. And if it's back to – if you get stops quick, great. Um, it's funny. I was just looking at the uh, – LSU game a year ago and the, the opening game and every scoring drive was like 12 plays, 70 yards, 16 plays, 60 yards for both teams. And I was like, man, that's crazy because both ended up being crazy explosive. Um, you just want to avoid that as the defense. Don't don't allow a 17 play, 12 minute drive. Just keep getting it back to the offense as quickly as you can. Yeah, I mean, going over a few more things last quick, like the touchdowns per drive allowed were 28th in the league at 22.3%. The actual points per drive allowed it was 1.93. So almost two points per drive uh, off of the defense of Florida State last season, which is 35th in the country. It's just got to be better. You're looking at minimum top 15 uh, in, to improve there. Um, so I think that's the, the goal. It's a It's a year of expectations. That's a year of hype and building, and we are certainly – Seeing the stars come together, the 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 plan is starting to come together, and I think if you're a Florida State fan, a Florida State uh, booster in the program, you've got to look around and be happy at where Norvell has this team heading into the year. Uh, like we mentioned, the opener three weeks from today as we record this, uh, obviously it's slightly less if you're listening later this week because we don't publish it until Monday, so that's how days work. Um, coming up next week, we're going to do a Florida State LSU game preview with some of the guys at LSU um at the SB Nation site over there just kind of get an idea of what does that team look like that's obviously the big first game here we won't do that every week we won't do that with Southern Miss and things down the line but we'll try for at least the big opener um you know what's happened to LSU the last 365 days we'll look at that and talk you know let them ask questions of us on what they think is going on with our team as well and then uh, the week after we'll give our full season predictions season thoughts Heading into that one last weekend before we get going. Labor Day weekend. Can't get here soon enough, huh, guys? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm more than ready. It's just, it feels like it's been months, and we're just talking about how this team has all the expectations in the world, and we're just ready to see it in action. I, yeah. I, I will I will say, you know, I'm I at least, you know, it's Sunday, like you said, uh, uh, Brian, right now. There's, there's football on my TV, so the world is <laughs> healing. Right? You know, we are getting closer and closer um, to, to football. So that's exciting. It's still a cool 110 degrees outside of my house. So one day I'll work in the garden, but you know, soon enough. Yes. I'm tired of getting in the car and seeing it's registered on like 104. And I'm like, but I need to cut the grass, you know, but uh, hopefully it cools down a little bit before this game in Orlando, or it's going to be hot and it's going to be sticky. So, uh, you know, conditioning is something maybe we should talk about. Put that on the list. Conditioning. (laughs) We got a few Uh, weeks. Yeah, we got a few weeks. Go ahead and get ready because even the fans are going to need to do a little conditioning probably. 
the the beers are going to hit a little harder in the 104 degrees outside Camping World Stadium. But uh, until next week, we'll talk a little LSU, Florida State, and then we'll do our full season preview the week after. So until then, for Brian, Ben, and John, that's a wrap. Oh, my God.